When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to get you through your bye weekend with a round table. So it's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I. And we talk about some Browns personnel off the top. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Berry, Baker Mayfield, Joe Woods, and the Haslams. And then we do some quick hit questions after the break. All of this to get you through, like I said, that bye week. Now we will not have a podcast for you on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday with the Hey MK edition of the podcast. And then we'll get back into our normal week. But hey... While it's the bye week, why not think about becoming a Football Insider subscriber or even gifting it to someone uh, as Christmas is coming up during this holiday season? Hey, a little Football Insider subscription, right? Go to cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up, get a daily newsletter delivered right to your inbox, get access to become one of our text subscribers, and also get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. All right, here we go our Friday Orange and Brown Talk Roundtable. Getting you through the bye week, back on Tuesday. Have a great week. And here we go, our bye week roundtable on the Browns. We're going to try and get you through the weekend here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, as the Browns do not play on Sunday, so we're going to try and take some, some bigger picture looks at things. And the first thing we're going to do is look at some key Browns uh, players well one player and then a whole bunch of others some coaches staff members things like that so here's what we're going to do each of us is going to make like a case or or an opening statement about a person and then we're going to discuss them for a few minutes we're going to move on to the next one here in in this first segment so first up uh we're going to start with the big one baker mayfield and ashley you get to go first give us 30 seconds on baker mayfield starting off with the bang here okay (laughs) so my thing with baker this year is obviously don't want to place too much blame on the injuries for some of these issues he's been having, but they do factor in. So for that reason, I think largely the team Baker is going to take the leeway that they have with seeing what happens next year and then making any long-term decisions after that. Like, I don't think the Baker Mayfield question about, is he the quarterback long-term for this team is going to be answered in the immediate future. I don't think anyone really wants to answer it in the immediate future, quite honestly, especially when they don't have to. I know we had that whole discussion about a few weeks ago about whether or not we thought he would make it to the end of a second contract with Cleveland. And that's a long time from now. I still kind of stand with my original opinion on that, that because it's so long from now, I'm not really confident that that ultimately happens. And if it doesn't, you know, I think you kind of as a fan base, thank Baker for everything he's given to you in in helping this this turnaround happen. Um, But long term, I would say I'm still up in the air on what that means for him. And I think everyone else is as well. And I don't think we get answers anytime soon. A minute and 20 seconds, Ashley, your fine letter is in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with the injury piece of this, because I think that's fascinating because Andrew Barry talked, we're recording this on Thursday, Andrew Barry talked on Wednesday, and he kind of joined this growing chorus of people who 
just are refusing to let Baker use excuse, use injuries as an excuse. And that's he, he basically fair. said he basically said Baker is healthy enough to win games. I still question like all of the issues, but I guess earlier in the year when you were think about the shoulder and how it was affecting him, like those numbers are what they are already, right? Like more than half of the season is gone and that shoulder was impacting him. But I do think, yeah, we're hearing this growing chorus of people, like you said, Dan, kind of saying he's healthy and leaving it at that. So you can draw your own conclusions what that means. I also think the the conversation at times is too much about Baker because frankly, it's not about Baker. It's about the Browns and whether it's fair to him that he's injured or how much should you evaluate or whatever. It's like the Browns have to figure out what they're doing. And while there may not be a time clock on Baker because they can look next year, then they can franchise him, whatever. There's a time clock on this team. And we thought this year was maybe their best chance to win. And they're six and six. And it doesn't mean anything's going away. We think this team is built for the long haul, but you can't throw away Miles Garrett's prime years and Nick Chubb's prime years while Baker Mayfield's trying to learn how to play quarterback. So we have to make sure that it's not a Baker Mayfield conversation. It's a quarterback of the Browns situation. And it very well may be that the answer is, you know what? This is not fair to Baker. He tried to play through injury. Stuff happens. Man, life. What are you going to do? But we're moving on. Do you think he's going to go win four Super Bowls in Miami or something? He's going to go be a Hall of Famer? in Vegas or something I, like, is that just get figure out your quarterback thing, whatever happens to him happens to him. Now, maybe it's still him, but I just make, I think we have to remember what the conversation is and it's not really about him. They got to figure out what's best for this team. And it might be life sucks. We're moving on. That's why I think it is about him. I think it is all about him. I think they have to figure out uh, if he is the guy or if he isn't the guy. And as you mentioned, you can't waste Miles's best years and you can't waste Denzel's years. And that's why I do think so much focus has to be put on the quarterback and the evaluation of the quarterback. As far as the injury piece is concerned right now, I've been in that camp for a long time that we have been overstating the injuries a little bit too much. Been covering the NFL for many, many, many years. I've watched quarterbacks play very injured. There are other quarterbacks playing injured this year. That's what quarterbacks do. Baker Mayfield's torn labrum is in his left shoulder. We need to remember that. It's not in his right shoulder. It's not his throwing shoulder, okay? That is a key piece of information. We talk about it sometimes not you guys, I mean, just in general, like it's his right throwing shoulder that he's trying to throw through a torn labrum with. A bruised heel, not a deal breaker. Bruised knee, not a deal breaker. And those are things that get better after a week or two. So even if they were really bad for a week or two, they're not as bad anymore. I feel like the injury piece has been a little bit overblown. And Baker Mayfield is a competitive, competitive individual. If he felt like he was a liability and couldn't go out there and help the football team win, I think he would tap out. I think he'd get himself out of there. So they, the medical staff said he was fine to win and play to play. The Browns think he was fine to win and he thought he was fine to play. So I think we need to uh, just minimize the whole injury piece just a little bit. But my, my so, so here's the thing with the franchise quarterback, the answer on a quarterback can be yes, no, or maybe. Yes and no are easy. Maybe is hard. The thing that I'm saying is if you're still at maybe with him and we've kind of been at maybe with him for a while at right. some, at some point 
With Baker so far, the maybe has been a yes because a maybe is keep the maybe because it might become a yes. I'm wondering if the maybe becomes a no because it's like, I don't know, maybe the maybe will become a yes eventually, but we can't wait anymore. And it's not about whether it's fair to him. It's about what's right for this franchise. And maybe it's go get another quarterback for next year, or at least go get another option to have in camp with him. So the maybe makes it hard. Yeses and nos in life are easy, my friends. Maybes make the world go round. And I think we might be looking at our maybes in a different light. Would you I, keep I have it? A, I, have a, I have a thought on that, but we haven't heard from Scott yet. Scott, what, what do you think? I, hearing everybody talk, it makes me think that we're everybody here feels that Baker is the biggest reason for why they're six and six right now. Is that, are we, are we going that route? I don't believe that. I mean, he plays one position out of between 30 and 40, you can play on a football team in a game. I, yeah, he has an outsized impact, especially on the offense, but he doesn't play defense. He doesn't play special teams. You know, wins are not a quarterback stat. Uh, I think, all ten we really po- know for ten right points now, or ten points or a quarterback stat. No, it's not. It's an offense stat. But all we know for sure is Baker Mayfield is going to be the quarterback of the team next year. And beyond that, it's probably up to him and what Andrew Barry thinks of how he does next year, whether or not he's quarterback beyond that. But I mean, why do you say we're talking? We, why we know that we know he's the quarterback. Well, he's next under year? contract for next okay. season. Doesn't I mean he's a quarterback. That's my whole point. I don't think like, it's very you... likely that they're going to cut bait with him after a season like this. Nope. And whether or not bait. you believe the injuries are a huge part of the way he's performing, they're still part of the way he's performing. It's yeah. Quarterbacks play injured, but everybody is impacted differently. It's clear that he's not able to do the things that we've seen him do in years past when he was healthy. So Look, but we know I he's going to be the quarterback next year. I think for me too, like we've, we've talked about this multiple times as well. Like, if Baker, it's always, if Baker had this, if the conditions are perfect for Baker Mayfield to succeed here. So I think it's about, is the organization willing to go through everything required to make those conditions perfect? And I mean, as Dan wrote, you kind of follow the money and they've shown what they're investing in. And it's that run game, I think, more than focusing on making everything exactly perfect for Baker Mayfield. Do we know that he is going to be the quarterback next season? And I don't know that that is a 100% given. I think it's probably pretty likely, uh, but as I've written before, this whole decision on Baker Mayfield is also a two-way street. He's got a very strong team around him in the same way that Odell Beckham Jr. had a strong team around him. And if he doesn't feel like uh, this is the right place for him, or if they bring in his replacement next year, uh, there will be some discussions that will take place between Baker's camp and between the Cleveland Browns. And those discussions, they could lead to some kind of an extension. They could lead to playing out the fifth-year option, which uh, I heard a stat yesterday where if you play out the fifth-year option, you're, you're like most of the time, like you're gone the next year. You're gone. Um, they could play out the fifth year option or they could all decide, Hey, maybe this isn't a fit anymore. Maybe this isn't working right. And let's see if maybe you can find a trade partner or whatever else the case may be. So, although I think he will be 
the Browns quarterback next season. I'm not 100% certain about that. And I think, I think, even though I asked Andrew Berry yesterday, what does he have to show you in the last five games? Andrew said, these last five games don't have, you know, they're not going to be the be all or the end all of the evaluation, but I think they're pretty damn important. They are important. If you can't say that these five games are important in the future of Baker Mayfield, I mean, he's not going to say that, um, but, but they are important because he can go out there and he can beat four or five winning teams by the time it gets to that point. Uh, he can beat four or five winning teams and he has not shown he can do that. He is one in five this season against winning teams and seven and 19 in his career. And yes, I do think that's a quarterback stat. I think a quarterback can, if he's good enough, strap a team onto his back in certain situations and win a football game or go down in the fourth quarter and win a football game and pull out a, pull out a game. He's 0-4 in, um, in game-winning drives this year. And I, I think those stats are not what you're looking for from your number one overall pick. But he can change the narrative in these final five games. He can change the narrative. I'm not saying he has to win every single one of them, but he has to show that he can go out there and he can beat the Ravens and the Steelers, which he hasn't done consistently and go out there and see what you can do against, against uh, Aaron Rodgers and the green Bay Packers. Because if you're going to the Super Bowl and trying to win it, you got to beat him. You might have to beat him there. So what do you got? And yes, I think it does fall a lot on the quarterback. What, what if he's just the guy by default? Like, when? cause I think we all, you know, we sit here and it's like, well, you know, go get Russ Wilson, go get Aaron Rodgers. You know, some people would probably still take Deshaun Watson, but the reality is the Browns don't have like the Philadelphia Eagles are going to blow the Browns away with whatever they can offer. No, 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 no. There's a million answers. We right. can't, we can't right. act we like there's no answer. Like, is, like, is Kenny Pickett going to be your guy next year? No, no, <laughs> no. The two choices that, I mean, it, the history's right there. In year five of Marcus Mariota, the Tennessee Titans brought in Ryan Tannehill as a veteran. They had two quarterbacks, and by the middle of the season, they benched Mariota and went to Tannehill. Last year, the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts, and by the end of the year, Wentz was done. Carson Wentz was done, and they went to Jalen Hurts. Neither of those guys were first-round picks. Neither of those guys were huge trades. Neither of those guys were gigantic, humongous signings. They were legitimate options, though. They were better options than Case Keenum. That's what I'm thinking they do, and I think that's what they have to do. They can't come back with case, a Case Keenum level backup next year. They have to come back with a real guy, Teddy Bridgewater, right? Teddy Bridgewater's in camp. Baker's the guy. But then if Baker looks like crap in week four, Teddy's in and then the way you go. Or you draft the guy in the second round or whatever, right? Or the third round. But no, they don't, they're not going to draft Kenny Pickett. They don't have to trade for Russell Wilson. But we can't pretend that the, that the other default, two things that we can't say in this podcast, Super Bowl, <laughs> No more saying Super Bowl in this podcast for in any context and default because the whole thing with the Browns was they had 20 years of quarterback default. Well, Brady Quinn fell. We'll take Brady <laughs> Quinn. So you have to, but it, you don't have to attack it the same way you attack taking Baker at one, but you have to look for answers. You have to problem solve. And there's ways you can do that. So that's where I am. And that's why I don't think anything's guaranteed for next year. I'm not booting him, but I'm providing real options behind him. And so if you get to this exact point next year, there's a real option beyond, well, Case Keenum was good five years ago. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. Oh, no, that was, at least look, when Mitch Trubisky's here, at least we only have to drive like 45 minutes to go write the story about his high school life. <laughs> but I mean, like for real, right? I mean, aren't there, we can't, 
here's, here's the thing. They went all in on Baker. You have to go all in at some point, but sometimes it doesn't work. But then survive in advance, figure out something, figure out something else. You can't spin your wheels forever. And so there are other ways you can go about this. Start taking some shots at, shots at the dartboard, right? Hey, there's a this third round guy that we kind of like, right? Hey, there's this veteran. He's not going to cost an arm and a leg, but he's more legit than Case Keenum. That's all. I think they have to do that and will absolutely do that next year. One of those two. I think and that will, that will be a different situation than it is now. I think it's flawed logic. Um, I'm agreeing with you, Doug, here. I think it's very flawed logic when I hear people say, well, they had all the, look at the shirt with the <laughs> millions of quarterbacks on it. And, you know, look at what they've been through all of these years and blah, 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 blah. So what? That doesn't mean that you have to accept mediocrity if that's what you think this is. Now, maybe that's not what this is going to be. Maybe everything's going to snap into focus after the bye week and it's going to get great. But if you don't think that this is the quarterback that is at the same level as some of your other really great players and this team is built to win now, you don't have to, you don't have to say, oh, well, he's the best we've had since 1999. So, I mean, we might as well run it back with that. That's insanity. That's absolute insanity. Of course, just like every other position, you have to seek to get the best you can get. And that's what they'll have to do. There's, a, there's our Baker our Baker case. I guess I'm up now. I got to talk about Kevin Stefanski. Um, all right. So when we talk about Kevin Stefanski and his future, I look at the rest of the division. I'm not counting Cincinnati in this because their coach is young and, and relatively new as well. So you guys have watched the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. You guys have watched the Baltimore Ravens this year. These are not particularly impressive football teams necessarily. Obviously, you got Lamar Jackson. You got a good defense in Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh is five, five and one this year. They're a tough out most weeks, except for last week's. Baltimore is eight and three. They have the number one seed currently in the AFC. These are teams with coaches that have come in, established what they are established the type of players they want, how they run their system. They've been there forever. You can count on Mike Tomlin. You can count on John Harbaugh. And that's, that's kind of my case for Kevin Stefanski long-term and why I think the Browns have the right guy, even if this year hasn't been perfect, even if the play calling element, which we've talked about on here, hasn't been perfect. I think the Browns found someone who can be their Mike Tomlin, their John Harbaugh. It's not going to be great every year. You're not going to win. I mean, Mike Tomlin, won one Super Bowl, and then he loses in the playoffs constantly. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, don't, don't say that word. No Super Bowl phrases in any context on this show, especially from the person who picked the Browns to make the Super Bowl. Sorry. I'll bleep, I'll bleep it out. It. Thank you. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> but even, again, even Mike Tomlin, right, makes some head-scratching decisions every now and again, whatever. His team is always there, always competitive. Even this version of this team, which is just absolutely brutal to watch. And that, to me is what I think the Browns have found in Kevin Stefanski is a guy who can be that type of coach who can have this team competitive and in the hunt every single year. That was more than 30 seconds too. Ashley what and I is, both got fine. What is your proof of that statement? My proof. See, I didn't think I was going to get asked for proof. <laughs> it's a courtroom, man. Present the evidence. <laughs> So based on what I saw last year, 
how they handled that season, navigated that season. Uh, I feel like he has generally stabilized the circus atmosphere that surrounded the Browns. I feel like even in this year where it hasn't always been easy and his quarterback, I don't know if he trusts his quarterback, honestly, uh, it hasn't been perfect. They are still six and six, and there is a path for them to, I'm not going to say the word, Doug, there is a path for them to get to the playoffs, even if I don't necessarily believe they will. I, I think he's established what he wants, and he, he took over a team. There's a lot of inherited talent on this team, like Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. You know, some of it is really helpful. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, right? That's all helped him look very good. Eventually, this roster is going to look like a Kevin Stefanski roster. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, we'll find that out. But just what I've seen from him, he's unflappable. He doesn't take the bait. He doesn't make headlines constantly. I mean, I talked to Joel Batonio in training camp, and one of the things he said to me is they'd go into the locker room after practice and they'd see on their phones that their coach said something like completely crazy or something from upstairs. They, they saw some story or something that was completely crazy. He's come in and he's really stabilized things. And, and I've said it over and over again. I think something is weird with this team, but I don't think it's as bad as it's been. I just think stuff is weird this year and next year it's, it's going to be better. That's all. I, I think he's stabilized things. I think he, he showed us something last year. I believe in Kevin. Things have been weird this year. They'll be better next year, unless you're the quarterback. I think that's the theme of this podcast so far. But why, but why is things well, but I, weird? I think the coach, well, never mind. I won't say that. But, but it sounds like almost the, 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 the thing you just said, Dan, if you replace the word coach with quarterback and the word Kevin Stefanski with Baker Mayfield, it's the same conversation. It's exactly what Mary Kay just said. Just because it used to be on fire and somebody came in and put out the fire doesn't mean that just putting out the fire is then the standard. Right? I mean, Mary Kay, this is your right. So, OK, it, coach is here. Used to be bonkers. They were bonkers. The quarterbacks here used to be terrible. Now they're not terrible. But so is not terrible the new standard. Because the other thing is, and I lumped in Kevin Stefanski with John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin as much as anybody. John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, their first five years, both of them double-digit wins for the five years and a Super Bowl. So let's remember the context here. The guy won one playoff game, and he's 6-6 six and six in year two. So, and... At some point, also, there's a lot of Andy Reid comparisons, I think, with this guy, right? When you come up with, like, hey, he's a play caller, and he's kind of boring, and he just, you know, does the thing. I was in Philadelphia when Andy Reid was the head coach there. Andy Reid drove people crazy in Philadelphia because, like, the personality, they kind of wanted a more fiery guy, and he wasn't fiery. And so, like, whenever something would go wrong, people would get frustrated. Andy Reid won double-digit games five of his first six years. He was 5-11, and 11, and then he won double-digit games every year. So, Kevin might. Kevin is competent and calming and poised and all those things, but man, you better win. It's just like with Baker. If you're not going to escape the pocket and have some magic, you better be accurate. If Kevin's not going to come in and rally the fans and rally the team and have speed, you better be hyper competent. Cause as soon as it feels like you're not competent and the play calling is a little weird, then it's like, well, what else are you doing? Maybe that's not fair, but I don't care. You know, I think that he has established himself uh, as an amazing CEO coach because we've watched him handle situations uh, that have been 
very difficult. And I think he does a really, really nice job with those things. In terms of evaluating him as a football coach right now, I think it's a little bit of a difficult evaluation when you are still evaluating your starting quarterback, because most, most coaches uh, go the way of, of their quarterback. I mean, you have to have a pretty darn good quarterback most of the time if you're going to be winning. Maybe he has his guy, maybe he doesn't. We're still trying to all figure that out. But I do think that Kevin has established himself as a really good CEO coach because we can, we can see that. We can see how he handled COVID last year. We can see how he handled Odell this year. What I do think that needs, a mic- needs to be under the microscope is his play calling ability. And if it becomes evident midway through next season, that, you know, that his play calling ability isn't what it needs to be, then they need to upgrade it. Right now, again, I think it's hard to figure it out. What came first, the chicken or the egg type of thing? I, we don't know. But it needs, to, it needs to be looked at because there are plenty of games this year, uh, even this year, not just in terms of running the ball versus passing the ball, but even use of personnel. Sometimes I'm like, well, that was a head scratcher. Like, I didn't get that. You know, I mean, there, there are times when I just I don't know why Nick's not on the field or I don't know. I don't know why you would use Demetri Felton in that situation instead of Dearness Johnson or why aren't you doing more of this or why aren't you um, whatever. There are there are plenty of times that I'm wondering uh, why things are aren't going differently. And um, and so I think that I think that needs a, a long, hard look. But in terms of CEO coach, he's here. He's, and he's going to be here for a long time. He was handpicked by Paul DePodesta and Andrew Barry. Those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And they just need to make sure that the play calling is what it needs to be. Because I, I can tell just in Baker's body language, he does not like the play calling. Scott, like I, I do I do want to say this real quick. And then Scott and Ashley, you guys can go. But like when we talk about the play calling, again, this just take, goes, what if it's not the play caller? What if it there were... There, there's a screen cap going around of two tight ends wide open. Kareem yeah. Hunt, that screen would have been six. Quarterback dropped the ball. Just that that's one of the things we have to consider. I agree. I don't know that Demetri Felton needs to touch the football again this year very often, but what if it's not the play caller? These there, I, I just I just lobbed that one for you and for Ashley and Scott. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, I just feel like we've heard it, this whole discussion about Kevin Stefanski, the conversations about him and Baker Mayfield and the future of the Browns are just so intertwined at this point. And I am not convinced both would be here long-term essentially because of that. And I think for Kevin Stefanski, when you talk about this year, especially, I'm especially interested after the buy kind of based on what Mary Kay was saying with the play calling, because And we've talked about this on this podcast this week about sometimes it just feels like he is not calling the offense in the best way for the pieces that he currently has healthy and available on the field. And again, like we talk about that final drive against the Ravens. I get it. I get why Kareem Hunt is typically your option with under two minutes to go in a game like that with the game on the line. But the eye test, no matter what the analytics say, the eye, you're watching football. The eye test for me says, why is Nick Chubb not out there if Kareem is not ready to go? 
Like Nick Chubb can go out there and catch those little passes, you know, probably if you need him to, he's a playmaker. So that's for me, what's been so frustrating. And, you know, we talked about him getting his head out of the play sheet a little bit. And maybe if, you know, he let Alex Van Pelt call the plays, then that might fix some of that. Um, But yeah, I think analytics are good until they aren't serving you in the way you want them to anymore. So Kevin Stefanski was hired in most part because of his play calling and his offensive ability. And last year at this time, or pretty much last year at this time, they just beaten the Titans. They were nine and three and, we had all sorts of great things to say about Kevin Stefanski. A year later, he's apparently lost it. Um, I mean, if are we at a point in with the Browns where a coach is not allowed to struggle? Like one year after being hired, a season and a half after being hired, everybody wants to take play calling away from him. I don't know that that's the answer. I, I have no problems with Kevin Stefanski or the job he's done. Um, the offense has been a mess of people rotating in and out, poor performance, poor execution. People that you don't want on the field have to be on the field in critical situations because the other people aren't healthy. Um, I, I, I'm not ready to uh, take anything away from Kevin Stefanski. I think he's done what he could this year. I don't think it's only a play caller discussion, though. I mean, like – in terms of handling Odell, what did he do that handled Odell well? Like, what, what's the, what's the, why are we throwing bouquets at Kevin Stefanski for Odell? Aren't there coaches who would have figured out a way to prevent the Odell situation from bubbling over? No, that, you know what? I, here's what I think happened behind the scenes there. I think once Odell Sr. put up the video, no matter what they say, I think that became scorched earth for baker no but but then but then kevin didn't do anything what did kevin do kevin didn't solve anything with odell he should why if other what couldn't other of coaches prevented the odell dad video from coming out by integrating odell beckham jr your highest paid receiver into the offense more effectively in the first half of the year i I mean there there was a whole video of odell wide open and the ball not coming to him okay so you're just on kevin's (laughs) calling a great game and baker stinks he has not been perfect. You know, you guys have, have made the cases for the things that have gotten. And look, the stuff that happened on Sunday night with 12 men, like not being able to get guys in the, on the field and, and all of that. Like there's, there's no excuses for that. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try and excuse that stuff and, and say, you know, the personnel decisions haven't always been perfect and all of that. But I, again, I'm just not convinced that when some of this stuff isn't working, it's all on the play call. And no, you- what I mean about the Odell situation, and, and I do think that, that they tried to make that, I think they did a good job of trying to make it work. Like, like Dan said, there's a whole video showing that there were times where those two misconnected for whatever reason. And there's a lot that, that we don't know. But I think once it got to a certain point, it was taken out of Kevin Stefanski's hands. That was an organizational decision. And I think there was no turning back. They were going to back their quarterback when they knew the receiver was going to be gone after this year and that they still at that point felt like this is our quarterback of the future. They did still believe that. And they might still believe that they might still believe that. I think they need to see some things in the next five games. That's just my opinion. Um, But they might still believe this is, this is our guy. So they were not going to take Odell's side on that. And I think that got taken out of Kevin Stefanski's hands. I don't think 
had a say in that. But I but thought I, he navigated the team through that. But, but how? But like what? But I understand that maybe it wasn't out of his hands. So they lose Odell. They come back the next week. They force a bunch of turnovers. Denzel gets a pick six in the end zone that turns a seven nothing deficit to a seven nothing lead. They roll there, and then the next three games they score seven thirteen and ten. Like what is what? Like I don't like like. I mean the from the what? from the voice CEO face of the franchise. Here's what we say, as opposed to like how Freddie would have handled that situation. I'm not saying from a necessarily schematic standpoint performance i'm talking about ceo type of thing and that's why i'm saying then you have to evaluate the play calling part of it there are plenty of head there are head coaches that don't necessarily call plays but they can run a football team and i think they know they have identified he is their guy to do that now is he the guy to call plays for the next five years that i think is has to still be up in the air I'm not saying I'm not saying Kevin Stefanski should be fired. I'm saying he should be criticized and he needs to be better. That's all. That's fair. I think all of that is fair. I think I think those criticisms are fair, but I still believe the Browns have their their head coach there. I still believe they have their their Mike Tomlin or, or their John Harbaugh, who are not perfect coaches by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they win 12 games every year, but they're not perfect coaches. They are. They're a lot. I would suggest I, love, I am not. I love, I love Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin is awesome. Mike Tomlin makes in-game decisions that will just make your head explode. Doug, I mean, you were, did you watch the playoff game last year when he didn't go for it on fourth down? The Steelers might have won that game. No, but I know, Mike but Tomlin I, is still a great coach, and I would take Mike Tomlin to coach my team any day. Okay. It's not a Mike Tomlin discussion. Ashley, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I was going to say, Doug, your head was ready to explode when he got his, when his kicker got a concussion against the Browns this year. No, I agree. Play. No, but 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 like, let's go. I mean, at some point, again, we've all done it. Mike Tomlin has won 150 games over like 15 years in the NFL and is a leader of a franchise. And he, okay, I get what you're saying. Sometimes his in-game decisions. You never doubt Mike Tomlin's leadership and his players' belief in him. And at times, I'm. I'm a little over calm Kevin because I'm not sure the Browns need calm. I get it. They need to calm in a pandemic. Maybe they need calm when that player's dad start tweeting out videos. I would like a little butt kick Kevin. And so I like butt kick Mike. So I like Mike. <laughs> you should have done the Kevin Stefanski uh, introduction with your minute that we oh, no, I got plenty I got I got plenty. Oh yeah. <laughs> it would be very no when I do my introduction it'd be very positive. Be very positive. Listen, yes. we're on we're, we're going Buckeye talk pace on this pod so far. Oh, four hours. <laughs> All right, Mary Kay, you're up with Andrew Barry. Okay, I have Andrew Barry, and uh, I firmly believe that they, Andrew Barry is going to be here for the very, very long haul. Uh, I had heard that when he left this organization uh, to go to the Philadelphia Eagles in 2019, uh, that he was gonna co- going to come back. And he was going to come back as the general manager. And that was part of the plan. It was part of the long range plan for this football team. They love Andrew Barry and he's really, he's proving to be good at his job. He still has, obviously the jury is going to be out. We need to see what happens over the next four, five, six, seven years, but he's going to get that time. But so I'm going to use my little bit of time here in my intro Uh, to say that I think that this is going to be an absolutely critical, crucial 
uh, decision that he's got coming up with the quarterback situation because he has got to determine if they have the right guy in the building right now, if they let him come back and try it again next year, which seems likely, or if they try to upgrade as soon as next year, given the fact that you are built to win now, as we said, we thought that this was their prized pig that they were taking to the fair this year. This was the team that was supposed to go the distance. So knowing that you've got all these guys in their prime, do you have to make a decision whereby you have a different starting quarterback on opening day 2022? Do you believe that Baker can take you where you, he needs to take you next year? Do you try to do some kind of extension? Do you not? The, this is an enormous decision and it could define Andrew Barry because if you pick the right guy, it, it changes all kinds of careers. I mean, look right now. I'm sorry, I'm going long. I'll have, we'll have to, I, I, I've got to cut myself off here. <laughs> Give me the hook. Typing up, I'm typing up the fine letter. Give me the hook. My goodness. But look, look at Kyle Shanahan right now. Kyle Shanahan someday might be saying, oh my God, I could have had Mac Jones, right? I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe both quarterbacks will be amazing. But it's such a huge decision. And I think that uh, that it's right in the palm of Andrew Berry's hands and it will determine the future of the Cleveland Browns. And it's huge. Scott, give us some Andrew Berry thoughts. Uh, geez. I think you're, you're right. I mean, yeah, but of course how this team performs over the first, you know, three, four or five years of his, of his tenure is going to help define who he is as a GM. Um, but so many of the other decisions around the quarterback are going to impact how that quarterback does. And I don't think, I don't look at this team and say, Andrew Barry is a cause for what happened. I don't think I look at the situation and say, Andrew Barry messed that up. Or I don't look at uh, any of the free agent signings or people who, who necessarily haven't worked out and think that it all traces back to Andrew Barry, not doing a good job. Um, yeah, I mean, I think of all the people we're going to be talking about here off the top, Andrew Barry is probably the one I would remove from it uh, just because so many other people are more hands-on in determining how, how good or successful this team is on a day-to-day basis. No, Andrew Barry is good at his job. And, and beyond, I mean, the real issue is, yes, of course, the quarterback decision is important, but do Browns fans trust him to make that decision? Right. That whatever he decides, do they think, well, I trust that guy. Maybe I'll disagree from the, with the decisions every now and then. But do I trust the person making them? And I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer should be yes. I think processes win over time. I think they have good processes in place. That is a job where you don't have to be fiery, whatever. Like if I want a little more gusto from Kevin, you don't want that from Andrew Barry. I think he's the right guy. I think you look at Demetri Felton and Donovan Peoples-Jones and some of the late round guys. You can see them, you know, mine in the late rounds, which is going to be important. I think the free agent signings were smart and calculated. And I think he's the guy long-term. And I, I don't know that there's any, are there any Browns fans who would disagree with that? Like, like this is the guy, I think this is the guy. And I think people should trust him to do his job. Yeah. I what, mean, what evidence do you have of that? Uh-oh. John Johnson. <laughs> I think you can go through, I mean, I just said Donovan Peoples-Jones, Demetric Felton, I think you can look at uh, the, the calculated free agent signings that made sense in the moment, right? Anthony Walker, John Johnson, the third, 
Um, the way he played the Jadavion Clowney situation, a clear sense of purpose with signing the guards. Is it, is it what everybody would do, but he has a sense of purpose and a process, and this is how we're going to go about it. The Jack Conklin signing when they needed to fix the offense. Um, I, think, I think there are multiple things where he's, his job is to put people in place to succeed, and then you tell the coach to go execute it. So I think the evidence of him getting the right people in place is pretty darn good, which is more evidence than six and six. And Mary Kay, by the way, last year when the Browns were winning and it was like you kept saying, well, who are they really playing? You know, that's part of this, too, with Kevin. But I appreciate you throwing it back at me. That was good stuff. <laughs> I was kidding. No, no, but it's right. But it's right. But you have to stand up on it. I can't say one thing on one person and not say it on the other. But I think if you lined up the 15 best things Andrew Barry's done in his job and the 15 best things Kevin Stefanski has done in his job, I'll take Andrew Barry's list every time. But wait, one thing real quick, and then I'll shut up. I'll try to. Um and that is, we assume that he can draft the next quarterback of the future or acquire the next quarterback of the future if that has to happen soon. We assume that, but we don't know that yet. So the jury on that is going to be out. And that is, I think, it's the defining thing for a GM. You've got to be able to pick that guy and get it right. I think Andrew Barry, of, of all these people we've talked about so far, is the least... I guess, controversial, combative, like in terms of probably what people's opinions are of him. Um, but I do agree with what Mary Kay said up top, that the quarterback decision, I think, is going to be so vitally important in terms of determining his legacy in Cleveland. Um, and I guess the, the thing with decisions like that, there's always what ifs if something goes wrong. So if Let's say they decide to move on from Baker. It doesn't work out. There's, of course, going to be a lot of rose-colored glasses, I guess, on the fan base and be like, what, what if Baker had stayed? What if they found a way to work it out? If the opposite happens, the same is true. Um, but I think it's very clear from everything we've talked about, and again, going back to who they've chosen to extend, how they've chosen to spend their money, I do think his vision is pretty clear. Like, obviously, intensely values Miles Garrett, as he should put so much faith in the run game with extending those guys on the line and obviously Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which was a little different, but um, I just think overall his vision is very clear and that is reason for optimism alone, but the quarterback thing coming up, the decisions that have to be made, I don't envy him. I think I've said that multiple times on past podcasts, but I think that's going to be a huge part of his legacy and it's a piece that we just don't have yet. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you you know, again, this, maybe this goes back to Kevin, like it hasn't been perfect with Andrew. You know, I, I don't know how that first draft class is going to end up looking, but I, it's not going to be a devastating thing. I mean, he, we'll see, we'll see what happens with Chadwick Wills, Mary Kay, you've talked about this. He, he might've picked the wrong tackle, but that's not a, going to be a devastating move. He's going to be able to go fix it. Uh, and, or maybe Chadwick Wills will end up working out. Um, you know, the rest of that class, We'll see. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think, has already been a hit. This year's class absolutely nailed those first two picks. It was, we'll see about Felton, but like he, he's a guy that's shown he knows how to go out and address the problems and fix them. And I, I, if he makes a mistake, I feel like he's going to go fix that too. He's not going to be so stubborn that he's not going to go fix something. I mean, he didn't bring back B.J. Goodson. He went and got Anthony Walker. 
you know? So I, I think he knows how he wants to build a team. I think we have an idea of how he wants to approach things. You know, DPJ and, and Demetric Felton are, are prime examples. We gamble on traits. So far, it looks like the DPJ thing for what he, for where he was taken, that's a really productive pick. We'll see about Felton. But we kind of know exactly how Andrew Barry wants to approach us and we know what he's looking for. And I think that's really important to have, again, a head coach and a GM who we just kind of know who, you know, you know what you want. It's why the Ravens are so good. Ozzie Newsome, Eric DaCosta know exactly what they want when they look at a linebacker or when they look at a defensive lineman and they go draft a guy that had zero sacks last year and he wrecked the game on Sunday night. It, it's stuff like that, that when you have guys together who know what each other want, know what they want to do, that's how you start to turn an organization into a winner. And I think, and, and obviously Andrew Barry is a huge, huge part of all that. Is that all we have to do with Andrew Barry? That's ah, good. he's good. Everybody likes we, him. We needed to bank a little time. All right, Scott, time to talk about Joe Woods. Joe Woods. The Browns are three and three in their last six games. And in five of those games, the defense has given up 16 points or less. That's, that's pretty much the end of my argument. Um, look, it took them a while to get everybody on the same page. They've dealt with some, some issues, uh, some injuries here and there. JOK missing games certainly didn't help, but uh, I, you know, you, you watch what he did against the Ravens uh, last week. I think that was impressive. Um, the whole concept of getting pressure without blitzing your head off um, has worked for them. Um, not as well as far as getting sacks, but if you want to get pressure on people, it's it, that, that plan of attack is, is something that he tried to do last year. It didn't work this year with some better players. Uh, it has worked. And yeah, I mean, this defense is not the reason why they're six and six. I don't know anybody who could point to them and say, that that's the case, or at least it's not the case that they have not won as many games over the second half of the season. Don't have any problems with Joe Woods' defense right now. I agree with that. I uh, I have felt pretty much all season long that people uh, were being way too hard. Pe- people had Joe Woods on the hot seat before the even season even started. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> What's that all about? And then as the season went along, we all watched training camp every day. They, they never were out there together, those defensive players. I mean, that was the most disjointed training defensive training camp I've ever seen. It was the training camp of bucket hats, basically. Uh, so those guys were never out there together, and it was going to take some time. Then you had some pretty significant injuries along the way. You had Grant Delpit coming back and playing for the first time uh, off of a very, very major injury. Uh, did have... JJ three kind of playing out of position, maybe a little bit, but probably by necessity. Uh, But now you're seeing it start to come together. And as Scott mentioned, uh, you know, giving up 16 points or fewer is pretty phenomenal. And what they're now starting to do is get the takeaways. And that's, you know, that's everything. I mean, you've, you've got to get those take, if you can get those takeaways that that's the number one thing you have to be able to do. And now they're doing it. And um, I've been very impressed with just the secondary with the way all those guys are playing. They're really, really getting good. All those guys are improving every single week in the secondary. I mean, Denzel Ward is having his best season. Uh, Greg Newsom looks every bit the first round pick. Uh, Grant's now coming around. JJ3, I just think the the defensive backs have played incredibly, incredibly well. And um, I just, I think they look well coached to me. 
and they've overcome some of their problems and their issues. So I'm, I'm bullish on Joe Woods. I do agree with everything that's kind of already been said, um, especially when you look at, like Scott said, five of the last six games under 16 points. What I do worry about long-term, my like one concern, obviously that Patriots game is, is the one game out of six where they did not do that. They gave up over 40 points. And that was the game where afterwards, obviously Miles Garrett makes the comments he did about lack of adjustments and John Johnson the third is saying they seem to do all these things that we had trouble with all year and we just couldn't stop it. So again, I mean, I know we, we talked about obviously the Lions game, the, the Lions tried to emulate some of these things that the Patriots did and just obviously were not good enough to, to make that happen, I don't think. But I, I guess I worry long-term when they play some of these other teams who are better down the stretch of the season, if they are kind of able to effectively emulate that Josh McDaniels game plan that the Patriots had, um, I guess how the conversation would change after that. And if things maybe players get frustrated and feel like those adjustments still aren't happening, what happens then? That's my still, I guess, one remaining question. I think that's a good point. I mean, Joe Woods is trending the right way, right? The defense wasn't very good last year. They brought in all new guys. It took a while for the new guys to gel. People were wondering. I mean, I think it was fair to wonder. It's like when they're getting given up 40 plus to the Chargers and Kyler's being Kyler. I get it. But now they're doing better. So it's like, it's, I mean, Stefanski, it was like the offense wasn't very good beginning of last year. Then it really trended up. Now here we are in year two and the offense isn't as good. The offense is, is not just on a trend line upward. I think Joe Woods is trending the right way, but I think actually, I think that's an important caveat, right? That I think that was only a couple games ago where the best player on the defense was like, ah, what's the guy doing? So let's not forget that completely, Yeah, but trending the right way. So I agree. Pretty good. Yeah, like, I mean, I do think they're trending the right way. I don't think they're the reason that they've lost these games. I think, obviously, the problems are a lot more centered, rooted in the offense. Um, but, I don't know, something to keep an eye on, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a big, you know, obviously the Browns lost, but that was a big win for Joe Woods on Sunday night. That was the best game the Browns have played against Lamar. They're, they're not going to get that in two weeks. Uh, and so, for me, that was just an enormous step forward. I do worry about being so dependent on turnovers. That, that makes me nervous. If that's, now I think they would have been effective in that game without the turnovers, honestly. I, thought, I just thought they played really well in that game. But it worries me if you're so dependent on turnovers, that's a really, that means your defense is gonna be really up and down because that's just, there's a lot of luck involved in turnovers. And, and obviously you can make some of your own luck in that regard, but man, that's, that's a dangerous way to live. And that's part of why the Browns have had games where they've given up, you know, 40 plus points and, and where they just haven't been able, you know, they get sliced and diced and they can't force a turnover. And the next thing you know, they're losing 45 to 10. But I, I think Joe Woods, that, that game Sunday night was a really positive step. And now I want to see what they do this next Sunday against Baltimore, getting to play them a second time with Baltimore. You know, again, Lamar's probably not going to give you four interceptions in that game. So now how are you going to, how are you going to do against them? Man, Joe was an easy one too, which is good because now we hand the floor over to Doug and we are going to talk about the Haslams. The Haslams have evolved into good NFL owners. That's it? That's it. But we have to ask you for proof. <laughs> it's not the that I disagree. The courtroom, we... Doug, come on. <laughs> the proof is that they're like officials. We haven't heard from them. And they're letting their people do their jobs. I wrote a thing like when it was as messy as it was, like 
go away for two years. We don't want to hear. Let's have let's have two years without Jimmy Haslam. And that's what we're in. We don't talk about ownership. We talk about football. We talk about alignment. This is what ownership looks like. I think it's a great credit to them. And it's not like wins and losses are the ultimate goal, of course, but it's hiring the right kind of people and letting them do their jobs. And I think they have, and, and creating an organization that works together and then allowing some growing pains and having a plan. And even what Mary Kay said about the idea of it was always a plan for like sort of Andrew Barry to leave and come back. And it was a winding road to get here. But I think this is what ownership looks like. I think they are, they, they, right. They're dedicated to the community in a lot of different ways. We know we don't hear about the, whatever, uh, what are they doing? They were taking pennies out of the cashier drawer. I don't know what they were doing with the JJ, whatever, you know, that not to be dismissive of that, but like that's in the past. So they just own the team and we never hear about them. And that's how it should be. So I actually, I actually think they deserve credit for that because I think they've had a lot of on the job learning to get to this point. And now they kind of can sit back and let people try to make this a winning franchise. So credit to the Haslam's. And their EPA per press conferences <laughs> is off the charts at this point. They really yes. turned it around. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, think about the things they make news for now, right? It's putting turf in high school football fields. It's lakefront development. It's whatever they're going to do with, with that campus in, in Berea. None of it, none of it is football related. They're making news for stuff owners are supposed to make news for, right? Like what's, what's going to happen with the stadium? What are you, how are you going to develop the lake? How big is your campus going to, all that stuff. All the football stuff is being handled by football people. I'm agreeing with Doug, which is scary. I'm worried for myself, but yeah, I mean, he's right. Doug, when you're right, you're right. Like I was thinking about that like last week or one of the weeks when we saw Jimmy Haslam, like kind of watching practice from afar, you know, and I'm like, you know, there was a time when he was in the headlines constantly for not good reasons. And that's not the case anymore. So I think, yeah, when you, when you talk about ownership, especially NFL ownership, you don't want to be the story. And I think they are only like Dan said, the story when they should be, and it's for positive things. So, and, and there's not that like micromanaging going on, which I think was a question earlier some years ago, but yeah. I agree with, with everything that you guys are saying, but for the sake of argument, because this one uh, needs a little bit of fire in it. Um, you know, if they don't make the playoffs this year, you know, I, I think that you have to look at the whole thing from top to bottom. So if, the, if they happen to not make the playoffs, then, you know, I do think that you have to look at the organization as a whole. And then there have been other things like the Odell Beckham Jr. saga. I mean, that was a, a big thing that rattled the whole organization. And Dan and I have talked about this numerous times. We think that there is residue from that, that there, you know, there, that's still reverberating somewhat through the team a little bit. You, you saw that there were plenty of defensive players that, uh, that were rocked by that, not the least of which your superstar defensive end, Miles Garrett, I mean, came out and basically said, we did not handle this the right way from a front office standpoint. Well, that could also trickle all the way up to uh, an ownership standpoint. I mean, Jimmy Haslam, if he wanted to, we see him out there on the field every single day. 
if he had wanted to intervene in this regard and say, look, let's get some input from our players or something, you know, maybe, maybe they could have uh, tried to have a little powwow about that amongst all the parties involved. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, you've had other things that uh, other little things that have gone on, but for the most part, I mean, I 100% agree with you that they do have alignment, which they needed. They needed alignment. They finally have it. I mean, my goodness, the things that have gone on in this building uh, since they took over are just mind blowing. And now everybody's pulling in the same direction. Everybody's pull for the most part. I'm not saying everybody's pulling in the same direction because I still think that there is some tension going on in some areas. So uh, I, I think there's an important point here too, to remember, and that this is sort of the next test for this front office and this coaching staff in 2020. Like, you got to remember, a football team, we all think about it like a football team, right? Oh, they show up on Sundays, they play. It's a job. It's a workplace. They go to an office. And in 2020, they weren't really in that office very much. You didn't have, you know, there weren't a lot of instances where a guy could walk over to Kevin's office or AB's office and whatever. It, it took a lot of, guys weren't sitting in the locker room all day and, and talking with each other and all that stuff. And now you do have some opportunities for that. And it certainly hasn't, doesn't seem like it's happened, but now, you know, Jimmy's walking through the hallways with Kevin and Andrew and JW's walking through the hallways and they have ideas of how things should be done. And maybe they want to dip their toes back in the football side of things. It's a little easier to do that now. Um, so you're kind of back into that office life of an NFL franchise, which I know sounds weird, but it is part of it. You know, you got the, the guys upstairs, they're all together. They're all, they all got offices near each other. Somebody wants to meddle. It's really easy to go meddle if they want to, especially if they're a billionaire who owns the team. But, um, you know, that's just one of those things that it's sort of a different challenge than what last year presented. Last year was trying to keep everybody healthy and navigate waking up in the morning and not knowing what your schedule is going to be. This year is now trying to navigate going back to normal life and having everybody in the same building and making sure that everybody kind of still gets along and, and does the right thing. But Mary Kay, so Odell comes up as maybe Jimmy Haslam or D Haslam could have helped solve Odell, but Kevin handled it great. Kevin, who did not even call Odell oh while it was going on. Like, how is that more on the ownership than it's on the coach? I, as I mentioned before, it became larger than a coaching situation. It, it became an organizational thing it became an organizational thing and the, the who knows maybe the haslams were the ones that were like get them the heck out of here we don't know exactly how that went down we don't know how that went down but i think that that became that that got that went over kevin's that went over kevin's head that's a personnel decision when you're talking about trying to trade a wide receiver that's that's personnel and management and front office so i don't think that he had you know, as much say in that situation as he would in, is Odell going to get 40 snaps this week? So I do think it's in part a Haslam thing. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do a five hour podcast. We don't want to do a fire. <laughs> Kevin's in the locker room with Odell every day and they didn't call him. He didn't call him when this stuff went down. So it's like, whatever. I mean, that's so we can move on. I understand <laughs> it's not his decision whether Odell stays or goes. Handling the situation. You are so down on Kevin's defense. No, no, no. Kevin's Kevin should be criticized. I think it's crazy to start to continue to be talking about Kevin Stefanski, like with John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, when they had a roster 
that is built with a lot of good players and they're six and six. And I know the quarterback is not playing well, but Kevin has not done anything to elevate anybody. So we should have just called this the Doug bashes Kevin. <laughs> I guess we need to do another coach draft. <laughs> That's what we need to do. <laughs> Even Kevin Stefanski is criticizing himself. I mean, I don't yeah. know if anybody's saying he shouldn't be criticized. Everybody on this team should be criticized. They're six and six, but, uh, I, I do agree with, 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 uh, with Doug on the whole OBJ thing. I, I mean, yeah, as a personnel decision, but Kevin Stefanski, if he really wanted Odell and thought he was a vital part of the offense, he could have, there could have been more noise created to, to make that. And I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have made something like that public. Is Kevin Stefanski ever going to do that? Probably not. But um, if you're the head coach and you really want to receive around your team and you think that, that guy is getting open and it's not his fault that he's not getting thrown the ball. I would have to think you're going to have a pretty loud voice in that conversation. Let's take a break. And I got some quick questions for you guys uh, that we're going to get to. Back on the orange Brown talk podcast, we're giving you a nice long weekend round table. And so I have some quick hit questions. We aren't going to spend 20 minutes on all of these. Like we did in those first ones, but those were good discussions about a number of, uh, of key Browns personnel. So here we go. Browns with five games left. First question. Besides Christmas in Green Bay, which game are you most concerned about on the remaining schedule? Well, we've talked about it a lot in past podcasts, but I just think that that Pittsburgh game in January, it's Monday night football. It's Ben Roethlisberger's probably last regular season game in Pittsburgh. I'm just nervous, especially if they've like won a handful of games up until that point. And, you know, you're talking about the, the playoff implications, potentially it does make me nervous. I just, I have those visions of Ben after that Halloween game, yeah. walking off the field with his arms raised. I mean, that was a, that was a big, big deal to him to win that game at first energy stadium. He's going to dial back ever. the clock for one last <laughs> One last grueling regular season win for Cleveland fans is my, <laughs> what my biggest fear is, I think, going into that one. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Anybody else on the Pittsburgh corner or what, what else do you got? You know, I think I'm going to go with the, um, if there was another game that I think that they might have a little bit of a difficult time with, it might be the Bengals. It might be the Bengals. I, I think the Bengals played so poorly in that game and has as Doug mentioned right after that game in that podcast is it a different game if Denzel Ward doesn't get that interception and I think there's something to be said for that I think the same thing sort of happened in Pittsburgh in the playoff game is it a different game if all of a sudden it just doesn't go really bad if the the Steelers can snap the football if they can snap the football, does that game go differently? If they marched down the field and even got like a field goal on that drive, is that a different football game? So I, I think there is something to be said for the fact that uh, that just changed. That just changed that game. I think that changed Jamar. I think that changed the game. And, um, you know, I, I think that they're going to have I think Joe Mixon is going to come in here with his hair on fire. I think they're going to have something to prove. I think that there's going to be so much on the line. I mean, that could be for, you know, that could be for the AFC North crown. I mean, you know, you just, you don't know. So I think that, uh, I think that's one where um, the Bengals are going to be really, really mad 
about the way they lost that game to the Browns. Now, maybe it's just a matchup thing. Maybe the, some teams just match up better against other teams. And the Browns might just have the Bengals number this year. Baker Mayfield, six and one against the Bengals. Did you guys realize that? When I was going through like how many winning teams he's beaten in his career. Um, so he's six and one against the Bengals. They might just have the Bengals number, but Joe, this might be a situation where Joe Burrow just straps the team on his back, gets his gets that connection going with his receivers. Joe Mixon gets rolling, and I don't know. Anything can happen. All right, so we got the Steelers and the Bengals. What else have we got? Doug, what do you think? Definitely the Baltimore game. If the offense doesn't come out and look healthier and fixed, the season's over. Right. And they just picked off Lamar four times and lost. So, and the Ravens are a good franchise. And I know the Ravens have their issues, but like, if, if they don't beat Baltimore, the Pittsburgh and Cincinnati games aren't going to matter. Who thinks if they go out and lose to Baltimore 20 to seven, be like, okay, well now they just, it's like, no, they had the bye week to get it together and they did not get it together. And now they're six and seven. You think they're going to go four and out to end the season. They have to look fixed in Cleveland at one o'clock next Sunday, or that's it. Yeah, that's the obvious answer. I mean, it, that's the biggest game. And if you don't win that, if you don't look better, if you don't look like things have been fixed and yeah, what's the point of the rest of this season? Because if you're at six and seven and now you've lost twice to the Ravens, you've already lost to the Chargers and the Broncos who are both ahead of you in the playoff standings. And then what are we doing? It, it's time to pack it in and have some, have even more conversations about the future of people on this team. So have you guys seen this? this thing on Reddit, this coin flip guy, this Raiders fan at the no. beginning of this, at the beginning of the season, he flipped a coin for every Raiders game. And he is, and the coin has gotten every single game, right? Oh my God. Point. So they play Washington, I think next, and then they play the Browns and this coin predicted that they would beat the Browns. <laughs> so it's basically it's basically written in stone like even if they beat the ravens whatever happens on december 12th doesn't matter they're going to turn around on saturday and, and lose to the, uh, the las vegas raiders i almost said oakland raiders lose to the las vegas raiders that game i i think the right answer is probably baltimore but that raiders game has me a little nervous just a little bit because like if you if you beat Baltimore, everybody's feeling good, and then you turn around six days later and lose to Las Vegas, just everything's deflated again. And I, I think Derek Carr is a a good good enough quarterback to come in and be able to produce against this defense. So so that game's got me nervous, but also the coin flip too. Really, I mean, I think it's we've talked about every remaining game besides the Green Bay game, obviously, because that's the question. Was besides the Green Bay game, what are you nervous about? I mean, I think it. All of us gave good reasons, though, for why you could be nervous about every single one of these games remaining on the schedule. Yeah, but the Browns have proven anything that you should be nervous about every yes. game. <laughs> yep. Yep. You never know what you're going to get. That's the oh, one constant man. this year. <laughs> All right. So on that note, the biggest positive this season has been blank. Don't all, don't all jump in. and Greg Newsom's early contributions. And we talked about that a little bit, that that drafting those two guys by Andrew Barry, great move. And JOK, I think, has 
been a pleasant surprise despite being, you know, a little bit stop and start with some of these injuries. So I think those are two solid positives. I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. I mean, Miles Garrett has consistently gotten through uh, the season healthy and has produced sacks all along the way. He's tied the record. Um, he will break the record. He will challenge for the uh, Michael Strahan's record of 22.5. Uh, so the fact that he has been able to remain consistent throughout the season and play at a very high level throughout the year, I think is in my mind, the biggest positive. I do think I'll slightly expand on Ashley. I think I was going to say miles, but I think Ashley's point that when you take JOK, but I'm going to go more to the secondary. When you think about the way Greg Newsom has played coupled with the leap that Denzel made as a, no doubt about it, number one corner. And then you think about Grant Delpit and, and JJ three in the back end, Ronnie Harrison's been a little inconsistent. I don't know that he's here long-term, but those four guys, when you think about where their secondary was and where their secondary is now, I think those are four guys who are here for the next several years. And you have to be able to rely on your secondary in the NFL to have a young talented secondary is a must. And I think they have a, should have a belief that they have that. Man, there's a lot of ways I could go. I, I agree with miles. The fact that he's played every game is big. Joel Batonio playing every big, every game is big, but I think the biggest positive of this season is that uh, all the wild card teams in the AFC right now are seven and four, seven and four and six and five. If you want a silver lining to where the Browns are right now, that's probably it. That there is still uh, plenty of opportunity for them to not just sneak in as a wild card, but even catch the Ravens with the fact that they have so many division games left and they played the Ravens again. Um, that's probably the, the biggest positive for this team right now. Yeah, I, I was thinking Greg Newsom, um, just him being like a legit dude, I, I think matters a lot. And, and I, I actually wanted to say this when we were having the Joe Woods discussion, and I forgot, but I do think one of the positives for Joe Woods is like, when we talk about offensive coaches, right, their specialty is like the quarterback or something. So they come in and they develop a quarterback. Joe Woods' specialty is the secondary. And he's done a pretty good job developing this secondary so far. I'm a little shakier on the safeties than, than maybe you are, though. I think John Johnson will be fine. I'm worried about Grant Delpit. I don't know. And maybe it's just the injury and, and just coming back from the injury. Ronnie Harrison's been a mess. But, um, I, again, Andrew Barry will fix it. I think Grant played pretty well last week. Hmm? I do. Yeah. I think that was, that was probably his best. That's like a good sign. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every, every, look at that. All kinds of good signs from that Baltimore game. <laughs> And I do right. think along with what Scott said, the idea that the Chiefs look human and they may be getting it together, but let, if you thought there's like, well, there's this giant roadblock in the AFC and no matter how good the Browns are, how are they ever going to get past that? And it's like, oh, the Chiefs are human. That's not a, in a weird season for the Browns, the, the idea that it's been weird elsewhere is, does matter a little bit. All right, we've probably covered these next few a little bit, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on them, but the biggest disappointment this season has been blank. Baker. Injuries. The offense. Scott says injuries. Doug says Baker. Ashley says the offense. I'm going to go Baker. Yeah. I, I, I say injuries because it makes it so hard to evaluate Baker. It makes it hard to evaluate this offense. I mean, next man up inspires players and <laughs> fine, whatever. Blake Hans is still Blake Hans. And, you know, Dernis Johnson is not Kareem Hunt. Rashard Higgins yeah. is not Jarvis Landry in the slot. It's It matters. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm just going to go with the fact that Baker didn't hasn't made that leap for whatever reason. And maybe it's, maybe it's the injuries, whatever it is uh, that, that we just haven't seen that jump um, that we 
thought we were maybe going to see this year. Most surprising, it can be good or bad, most surprising thing this season has been. It's just going to be Baker for all of these. For all of these. I was going to say the, the offense, to some extent, again, the we've talked about it before, this kind of inability to surprise us in a lot of ways or adapt on the fly. And yeah, so same answer for me. I'm going to go with the crash and burn of the receiving core. Just, you know, where are they? Where have they gone? Rashard Higgins is inactive. Odell's gone. Jarvis hasn't been himself, although he's getting better now. Uh, you know, just the whole receiving core, uh, that, that's been really surprising to me. I mean, in the interest of saying something other than Baker Mayfield, um, <laughs> that, that was, would probably be the next thing for me is just the what happened to the whole receiving core. I would say that, I mean, nobody thought Baker was a hundred percent sure thing coming into this year. And I don't know that we thought the receivers were a hundred percent sure thing. I thought the way the tackles played last year, they were like a hundred percent sure thing. And the Conklin injury is devastating, but also that Jed Wills has been dealing with his injury all year that he's been playing, but hasn't been himself that when you, when you think about what really fixed the offense last year. Great tackle play really mattered compared to 2019. And Scott, you were doing this. I got to watch the tape, right? I mean, like the tackle play hasn't been great and we know why, but man, that was something that you would have thought coming into this year, you weren't going to have to worry about at all. And you even liked the third tackle. You thought Chris Hubbard's a pretty good swing tackle as a veteran guy. And then he got hurt. So that, that we're, that Blake Hans has as much of an impact on this offense as he does and that there's no sure thing on the edge that Baker can feel 100% about is, is not what I expected. You guys are all wrong. The most surprising thing this season is Chase McLaughlin making his first 26 kicks. <laughs> 26. That's a good field one. goals and extra points. And that he, he had one blocked against the Broncos, which wasn't his fault. So really, he didn't miss a kick until week nine against the Bengals. Just, I'm just saying. If that didn't surprise you, then was, I, don't, I don't know. We're talking about was, Browns kickers. That was surprising. They don't do that. I'm, I'm going to say Jadavian Clowney. I was a little skeptical. I, I wasn't sure how he was going to look after playing eight games in Tennessee and not getting a sack. And he's been really good this year. Uh, he's provided a ton of pressure opposite miles. He's only missed one game. I think he's got three and a half sacks, which, you know, it, it's not amazing. But again, it's all about the pressures. And he's been right there creating pressures. Parades, all sorts of things. So I'm, I'm going to say Jadavian Clowney because I'm positive Dan today now. No more. <laughs> I'm all sunshine and rainbows and Super Bowls, Doug. Got all your <laughs> pessimism out on Sunday. <laughs> sunshine, rainbows, and Super Bowls. Uh, I would buy that T-shirt. St- <laughs> all right. Again, here we go. The biggest off-season need is blank. Well, let Doug have the floor so he can talk about Garrett Wilson and wide receivers. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say let Doug have the floor so he can say a new head coach. I'm just kidding. I don't really think that. No, receiver. I think they have to I think they have to target a number one receiver, and I think it is important for this franchise to bring in a number one receiver on the ground floor who has no preconceptions, no previous ideas of what his usage should be that he learns in the Brown system and that you know, Jarvis and Odell all had both had football lives somewhere else that I think were good, right? That Jarvis brought an attitude to this team that was needed as a veteran and Odell was a superstar and kind of juiced everybody up, but it's time for the Browns to develop a number one receiver that they didn't take in the third round or the sixth round. And I, I think it's vital to 
the progress of this offense and it should be what they do with their first draft pick. I agree with Doug, but for the sake of conversation, I'm now going to talk about another need they could address. Knowing that Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley are on these one-year deals, they could go after an edge rusher. I think, and I'm going to talk about two guys that the Buckeye Talk listeners very familiar with after last weekend. Um, I think Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan probably has made himself a top five pick, so he's probably not coming here. But you could go after David Ojabo, who I think has a huge upside, which everyone kind of saw. I think in the Ohio state game, especially knowing he just started playing football like five or six years ago, the way he's performed this year, really a testament to him to be able to step up and fill those shoes that Quiddy pay left at Michigan. Um, so I think, yeah, they could go after another high level edge rusher. If Tack and Jadavion are not here after this season. That's who, um, that's who Dane Brugler gave the Browns in his latest mock. I think that came out yesterday or the day before. You know, since Doug didn't go with this one, maybe I'll take it. How about the possible replacement for Baker Mayfield if it becomes apparent that uh, that it's not going to work out long term for him here? Uh, so in free agency, through a trade or through the draft, somebody that you think can start and win games for you in the event that you feel it's time to move forward. Mary Kay I, coming in hot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I have anything to, I mean, you guys kind of listed the needs that I had in mind. So I don't know if I have a guy specifically to add to that wide receiver, or if you need a new quarterback, or if uh, I'm all about a young edge rusher too. I think all of those, would, I think those would be great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, from mine, just like in a perfect world, Aiden Hutchinson and Miles Garrett would be. Insane. Stop. It's not Aiden Hutchinson. I know it's not going to happen, he, Doug, but, but I'm then, just, let me he, imagine he might, it. Let me imagine might go it. Number one. We might as well talk about it. What if the Browns get Aaron Donald? Like he's not, he's not going to be a Brown. I mean, Come on. You can't live fun. it. This is real life, Ashley. They're six and six. It's time All to get right. real. Thanks for bringing me <laughs> back down to earth, Doug. But I'm just saying in a perfect world, I'm done. Okay. This last well, Scott, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I mean, I agree with wide receiver. It's, I mean, they, they need consistency. They need a big play person there who, I mean, that's his biggest impact on wins outside of quarterback. So, but I will say defensive tackle, which is, I'm sure the Browns probably view that as kind of a throwaway position and they'll keep rotating people in, but Malik McDowell and Malik Jackson have not been good. And you're probably going to see two different people there next season. I'll just say this last thing about receiver. Just imagine if they would get the equivalent at receiver of a Greg Newsom or a Jeremiah owusu Kormo that they got late in the first round and then the second round last year, right? And that that's just a, a talent level step up from DPJ and Anthony Schwartz. Just imagine we've seen the immediate impact of those guys. Just env envision that, what it would do. That's what they need to do. All right, last one here. And you can choose. So this is a multiple choice and a fill in the blank. And you don't have to like, like whether you believe the Browns will make the playoffs or won't make the playoffs, you can kind of just make the case you want to make here. The Browns will or won't make the playoffs because blank. So you can choose whichever route you want to go. You can make the case for them making the playoffs, even if you believe they won't. They so won't the make the playoffs because they'll lose the tiebreaker in the big mishmash of the AFC. In a world where I was said, you know, like, yeses are easy and no's are easy and maybes are hard. I, I think that I'm envisioning the end of the season being a maybe 
that I don't know they're going to come out and go four and one and storm to the playoffs. I don't know they're going to come out and go one and four and fall off a cliff and be like, well, that's it. Baker's never playing another snap here. I think they'll probably look good one week. They'll look bad one week. They'll win a close game. They'll lose a close game. They'll be right there. And then there's just enough things against them in the tiebreakers, right? That their record against the AFC isn't very good. They've lost to the chargers that whatever, that they'll be close and no cigar and not quite make it. Uh, I'm changing the, the wording of this. I'm going to say if the Browns make the playoffs, it will be because they had some sort of magical ride over the last five weeks that no sane person thought was likely. Um, and the AFC remained a quagmire of mediocrity. That, that's how they make the playoffs. That was a negative idea expressed in the most positive way possible. Love it. Quagmire of mediocrity. That should actually be the new name of our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll go. If, if, they, if the Browns make the playoffs, it is because the offense snaps into focus with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and all of a sudden Baker starts playing really well. He gets the ball to his receivers. They win three or four games. Might take four games. Does anybody think that they can get into the playoffs if they only win three more games? Does anybody think that? That's no. a no. That's a no, right? Everybody well, thinks it's got to be four, I th- right? I think it's because of the tiebreakers. Like, like Scott has been saying, the AFC is really tight and mediocre. And, and so nine and eight might get somebody in but I don't know if it'll be the Browns. Probably not them. So they've got to win. They've got to go four and one. If they are going four and one, it's because I think the defense has woken up. It's because all of the sudden they come back from the bye, and the Cinderella slipper goes back on and voila, they can score 40 points again. And the Packers game would probably be the one game you lose because you can't yeah. afford to lose a game in the AFC. Right. Yeah, that's got to be the one. So they blow through the division. They beat up, beat up on everybody in the division. They beat the Raiders, and they lose to the Packers because their offense somehow finds itself over the bye. I was going to say what Doug said about the tiebreakers. If they don't make it, it's going to be because of that. But now I'm going to say go off of Mary Kay's. If they don't make it, it's going to be because this offense does not take another step forward. And it's more of the same. And it's more of the only certain thing we have with them is uncertainty. And we don't know what we're going to get week to week. And as a result, they go three and two or two and three or something crazy down the stretch here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the, the Scott method here if the Browns make the playoffs. Because if I were answering this honestly, I would pick the won't option. But I've been over that. If they make the playoffs, it'll be because this bye week just cleansed everything. And like I said, maybe everybody just needs to get on a plane and get away from each other. You know, John Johnson is in LA and all these guys, guys probably went back to Florida, whatever. They got away from each other. They come back, they're ready to go. It was sort of like a little spring break. Now, now they're just ready to go for five weeks. So if they make the playoffs, it'll be because this bye week was just a, a cleansing week off and, and they're ready to go. And they're kind of like what Mary Kay said too, maybe they fixed the offense and they're just ready to roll. Don't know if I'm convinced that's going to happen, though. I think that's everything. Uh, Scott is wearing his Kent State hat. So the Flashes are going to be in Detroit this weekend. So everybody yep. watch uh, Kent State go win the uh, the MAC. And that'll be it for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast this week. We are going to take one day off, believe it or not. 
Uh, we will not have a podcast on Monday since it's the bye week, so there will be no post-game pod. Your next podcast that you'll get on your feed will be Tuesday when Mary Kay and I bring you the Hey MK podcast, and then back to a normal week uh, after that as the Browns get ready to face the Ravens. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us five-star reviews, all that good stuff, and make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. So for Doug, Ashley, Mary Kay, and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Sunshine, rainbows, and Super Bowls. Uh, I would buy that t-shirt.